Welcome back to the Access to Education podcast, where we talk about all things having to do with learning disabilities and learning challenges. Understanding your child's behavior can sometimes be a frustrating thing. One day, they're quiet angels, and the next... Well, let's just say for parents with kids who are super feelers, it can be huge ups and huge downs. Being able to support your child has to start with understanding why the behavior is happening and how you can support your child in understanding their own. On the show, I'm talking with Marlene Spence. She's a mom, educator, and works with families to support positive behavior through experience and her own learning outside in different avenues. She works to help families from kindergarten to grade 12. Her mission is to show positive, practical, and proven ways to manage behaviors. Welcome to the show. I don't always love talking about behavior, but when I have somebody who can help me understand things, then it seems better. So welcome. I'm excited for this. Hi, thank you so much, Delphine, for having me. So I mean, my first question is let's define behavior. And what I have on my note is problem behavior, but not all behaviors are problematic, right? right? So as I'm saying it, I'm holding up quotes. You can see the quotes. Nobody else can see it, but problem behavior. So let's try and can we, can we try and define behavior? I think probably in the context of the conversation you and I are going to have, because I think the audience maybe needs an understanding of what is behavior and why, why is it important to know what it is? Yeah, absolutely. And so this is a great, it is a great question. I mean, actually in one of my coaching programs, we actually spend quite a bit of time just talking about, you know, behavior. So is the behavior, is it a problem behavior? Is it just an annoying behavior? Is it like, what, what is it, right? What exactly are we talking about? Because really behavior could be good. It could be bad. It could be, I don't know if you want to define it as bad, but when I say, or when I, you know, I'm, I'm talking to other parents and we're kind of talking about problematic behavior or challenging behaviors, I'm talking about, and I define it more as behaviors that are causing harm to the child, behaviors that may be causing harm to um, others, or it, this behavior impedes in their learning or, the, or their daily function of life. And so if it does any of those things, then it's, it's becoming a challenge because it's beginning to impede on the day-to-day life for that child, for the family, then those are the challenging problem <laughs> behaviors that I think we're going to be talking about today. Well, and I think it's so important to specify that like behavior can be sitting really quietly and never answering a question. Mm-hmm. all the way to the extreme, which would be angry child throwing chair, for example, right? right? Like there's a big spectrum of, but then there's also social behaviors in terms of what society expects, right? Yes. Yes. And so there's all of that. And so again, it's looking at, is it beginning to impede on this child being successful, right? And so if the child now never wants to raise their hand in class, you know, because they're just so anxious and frightened about, you know, having a wrong answer and it's beginning to impede in their learning, then yes, that's, that's a behavior that we'll want to look at. And it's just important that I think we recognize different behaviors are attached to different things and different issues Mm -hmm. and the way we handle them is going to be different. So speaking of handling behaviors, 
what is it that we need to look at or consider when we want to, and I'm going to use the word redirect because I actually prefer that to change because mm-hmm. I mean, I like to think that I can change my kids' behavior, but mm-mm. I can try and redirect it. And I use the word try in big capital letters, blinking letters. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't always work. But what is it that we both as parents and educators in classrooms, like I'd like to kind of look at it from both sides. What is it that we can do to help redirect behavior? And how do we know when we need to redirect a behavior? Is there something, is there a signal to us as, as the person dealing with that child to know what, what that change needs to be? Yeah. So it's really, again, looking at how is it making you feel, I think in order to be able to appropriately redirect behaviors, I think we have to change our mindset first of how we're even perceiving what these, you know, challenging situations could be. And so are they, are we looking at it as, again, this is, this is a behavior that needs to be punished or, you know, needs to have more consequences, but something that we're trying to control, or are we seeing, you know, that, Hey, I think this child may be trying to communicate something I think they're saying, you know, they're afraid. I think they're saying maybe they're not happy, right? What is this child trying to communicate? And I think if we're able to reframe it that way, I think our approach on how we're going to be able to help that child and redirect those behaviors are definitely going to to change the way that we do that. Is there a difference between a punishment and a consequence or are they the same thing? That's a good question. (laughs) There's a philosophical question for you tonight. Yes, I know. Right. Okay. So, you know, I don't often use the word punishment because again, there's, there's a very negative, I mean, it's, it's very negative, right. And punishments to me are more about shaming and kind of blaming. And again, kind of a very authoritative consequence that happens. And so there I say the word consequence. So consequence to me are, so a a lot of things. So consequences also, you know, you have natural consequences, right? So you don't put on your jacket when you go outside, the the consequences, you're going to be cold. And so a consequence could be, again, what naturally happens after the behavior, right? Um, You know, you don't tie your shoelaces up, you're going down the stairs, then, you know, the consequence to that might be, you might fall down. And then, you know, obviously then there's, there's consequences, which are, you know, teachable as well. Right. And then that's the, I'm, I'm setting limits and, you know, it, it wasn't okay, you know, that you maybe left the house without permission. And so now as a result, you know, there's a consequence. And so that is, you know, what, what are we going to learn from this and how are you going to be able to understand that that behavior was not appropriate or just isn't something that, you know, we want to be able to continue. Uh, And so being able to, uh, again, have consequences. And I think we, we all naturally, again, have consequences, right? There's, there's things, there's guidelines, there's limits, um, you know, us as adults, of course, that we need to follow. And so it's important that our kids are able to understand what that means as well. So I'm thinking of my household. I have three children, three very different children. Good mm-hmm. thing they're different because otherwise life would be boring. <laughs> it certainly isn't dull. But do p- 
parents need to take into account that every child is different and that maybe not every situation is reacted to the same way? Or should families kind of tailor and say, well, if you do this, everyone, you know, every time whoever it is does it, they get the same consequence. Do you know what I'm saying? Or does it differ by age? Does it differ by reaction? What's your advice on that one? Yeah. So that's a good question. And I know a lot of parents often feel the pressure, right? Because their kids are saying that's not fair, right? And they're they're hearing um, that. And so, you know, this is actually a conversation too I had in my last parenting session that it doesn't need to be equal. Absolutely. So I I don't think our children are unique and they're going to have different needs. And so, yeah, and that could be, again, depending on, you know, their abilities, depending on their age, all of those different considerations here. So you need to be able to address that child's needs, right? Are they able to, again, you might have a child who is 13, but developmentally could be five. And so you're going to have to be able to um, appropriately provide guidelines, expectations, consequences that that child's going to understand. And so, yeah, I think it is very unique. I think you've really got to be able to understand the needs of your child and know what works for one is not, again, not necessarily going to be work, working for all, um, all the time. And I think explaining that to your kids and I think letting them know that, you know, this is why I was able to do this with, you know, that sibling. So I'm going to look at the education system a little bit and thinking around the idea of families who have a child who is struggling with behavior, whether it's because they have an exceptionality that has been identified Mm -hmm. or whether they're still working through the process, right? We know that sometimes it takes a little while to kind of figure out what's going on. And the process is not a quick one, (laughs) unfortunately, (laughs) we would all like it to be faster. It's not, but in a scenario where there's a child who acts out or has behavior that, um, is not what we would expect in a school system, what is your best advice for educators reaching out to families to talk to families about that? Because it is a very difficult conversation to have. It's really hard to call a parent and say your child did, and you give the laundry list of things Mm -hmm. that they maybe didn't do well. So how can educators, schools, administrators, all those people kind of, um, speak to those families in ways that creates understanding and, and creates good communication? So I really encourage, and even just myself as an educator, I always encourage other educators as well to like, it's so important to build rapport with parents before, you know, before anything even happens. I think being able to establish a good rapport, I think, again, we also get into the habit of just calling parents when things, you know, aren't going well. And so I think if we're able to be proactive and really begin to establish relationships with parents, let them know what's going on on those fantastic days for everybody. So that when those days of, you know, okay, so this is kind of what's been happening. It's not just a shocker. (laughs) Again, the, the parents kind of feel like, wow, okay, so I haven't heard anything from you all year. And then now you're calling me and, you know, now you've just blurted out all these negative things. Again, as the educator, I think parents can tell what lens you're looking through when you see their child and that behavior. And so again, are we seeing it as these are some things that we've been 
seeing within the classroom and these are things that aren't working, but you know, we want to work together in order to come up with solutions. And I think, again, just being able to come with that collaborative approach is really important. Being able to show some empathy and some understanding. And again, not coming in with the blame and shame to the parent, you know, thinking like, oh, this is a parent problem. Like, you know, you're not parenting your child properly. We want to come in positive. We want to mention some of the great things that they're, they're doing as well. I think it's always hard to be able to hear, you know, the things that aren't going well. And so I think it's, it's important that those are also sandwiched in with the positive things of what is working, the strengths, right? What is the child's strengths and all of those things as well. And again, letting them know that, Hey, we want to try to work together and figure this out. Yeah. And I think those, I call those sunshine calls, you know, sort of you call because Mm -hmm. something good happened rather than you know, calling because you've called, you know, three times that week on a negative thing, or you've written right. three different notes home. I remember with my eldest who in initially when we were sort of kind of trying to navigate through the fog of what was going on. And I, I remember saying to the teacher on the phone, I think it might've even been the principal. I can't remember who it was, but I said, I find it very hard to believe that my son is there for six hours a day and he doesn't do one good thing in six hours. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's that feeling of, you're just giving me the negative. Can you give me some, give me, give give me me just a tiny carrot, right? Like, you know, I need something to feel like it's not falling apart, even though maybe you think it is, but right. Yeah. Give give me something for sure. Give me something. So we know that every child is different regardless of the way their brain is made. Every child is unique. Every child is, is different. But when we talk about our neurodiverse kids, whether it's a learning disability, whether it's, you know, something that visually you can see that they're different or that they have an exceptionality, how does that change the way we need to build their, and I call it behavior plan, but I mean more in terms of the expectations of behavior, because I can see how in my experience, some of the situations that I would do with a neurotypical child would be different Mm -hmm. from a neurodiverse child. So what are some things that we really need to keep in mind, both as parents of these neurodiverse kids, Mm -hmm. but also within the school system, what can we do there to kind of manage expectations? I don't know if that's the right way of putting it. Yeah. So I think educating yourself, I would say would be the first. So I know, so for example, I'm in a situation right now where uh, I know the team was just feeling really anxious about a student who was coming in. They have CP, they're also visually impaired. G-tube feeding this, when you look on paper, it sounds very complex, very scary. But then just reading and being able to educate yourself on, okay, so what does this mean? Again, kids with, uh, you know, learning disabilities, autism, whatever it is, I think just finding some really good resources and getting understanding of kind of what that means. I think it's just so important as well. Um, Building rapport with that, you know, child, with your own child, with that student is, I think, key. And so again, you could hear a lot of things maybe from, you know, the previous teachers, or you can read a lot of things, you know, previous reports, you know, that might sound a little scary, especially if it's a situation that you're unfamiliar with, but always give the, always go in with an open mind, with an open mind, 
give the child a chance you know, really work on building that rapport, get to know them. Um, so the same little, you know, student that I was talking about in kindergarten, oh my goodness, this child is like such a, a, a sunshine, a ray of light. Like he's so bubbly. He's the cutest thing ever. And everyone's like, what are we worried about? Right? Like, it's just, we're in their building a relationship with him and it's just fantastic to see. And I, so I definitely, I just think, you know, seeing, um, you know, what they're interested in, what are their strengths? So again, right. We get into these meetings or it's like a list of all the things, you know, this child can't do and all the things, you know, all their deficits and um, you know, but knowing, what are their strengths? What do they love? What are they interested in? Uh, and being able to really um, hone in on some of those things, right? They love cars. Like, what could you do, you know, in your math class that's related to cars? If they love cars, you know, on, on the weekend, you know, parents, what could you do that's related to cars and stuff like that? So I just think it's really important that we really get to know and understand their needs, support of family and friends as well, who you know, who might have a similar profile of your child. Um, and so sometimes just that support as well can be really, really helpful. We hear so often the term or the phrase, the behavior is communication. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I feel like we toss that around a lot. Mm -hmm. What, what is it that people are trying to say when they say that? In, I mean, Everybody I'm sure has their own definition of that, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are when you hear people just kind of say, oh, that, that behavior is communication. They're trying to tell us something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's really, again, it's, it's shifting the mindset from, oh, this, this child's just, you know, trying to be bad or manipulate me or, you know, so it's shifting from that into there are a lot of layers here and this child is trying to say something. So there is an unmet need here. And so if we dig through the layers of really and unpeel what's going on, there are some needs there, um, you know, that are not being met and this child does not know how to, maybe they don't even have the capacity um, and the skills to be able to get those meet needs met. And so as a response, this is how they're acting out. So when is, how, when do we start to peel back those layers? I mean, it's obviously not in the moment. I get that. Like, I think mm -hmm. we can all, you know, say, oh yeah, you're not going to ask them when they're at their most angry or their most upset or when the behavior is the most present, but at what point can you go in there and safely begin to kind of dig into the layers and peel them back ever so slightly. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even a matter of saying anything. Sometimes it's just also observing and just kind of seeing like, oh, okay. I notice every time it's math class, they get a little bit squirmy and loud and, you know, very talkative and kind of sometimes it's even like looking at different patterns of, you know, okay. I know they kind of struggle with writing every time there's a writing activity. That's kind of when I, begin to see those behaviors. So I think they're communicating, oh my goodness, I'm so nervous. I'm afraid I'm going to get this wrong. And then a lot of times it is like having these conversations again. So proactively, you know, before math class is happening or before something's in a, a problematic maybe situation that, you know, is going to happen, having this conversation about how does that really make you feel and using books and pictures um, again, to just be able to get them to, or help them. Cause sometimes you don't even, sometimes they don't even really know 
what what that is as well. And so just being able to tell them what you've noticed, be able to observe what you're noticing and being able to kind of just take a step back and, and just, again, even just collaborate with other educators, you know, and just see what they're seeing and see if there's any patterns that are happening. How important is relationship building both as a parent, but as someone who deals with that child every day, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a nurse, whether it's a teacher or the bus driver, how important is the relationship building to supporting positive behavior versus the maybe negative behavior that we don't want? It is the key. (laughs) I would say you will not be able to like redirect behavior. Like you will have a hard time if there's no rapport. And I've seen that time and time again. Um, And again, it goes with, you know, I think a lot of times as parents, we think like, of course we have a good rapport. (laughs) Like I'm the mom, (laughs) like you know, um, but it actually takes work, right? It takes being able to be connected. And when your child really feels connected, that's when they're going to be able to respond better to when you have to set those limits and boundaries and maybe even consequence. So I'd say building a rapport, again, being interested in their interests, understanding that, you know, what their strengths are and being able to tap into that, which is part of building, you know, a rapport, I think are definitely keys in the key, I would say before anything else, uh, before any plan or anything. I've sat around tables where we've constructed these wonderful plans of action of how we're going to do this, but it's like only the person who has a rapport is really going to be effective with that implementing any of that. You talked about limits and boundaries. When do we start limits and boundaries? Is it, you know, right from the beginning or do you wait till they're two? Like I feel as though in a lot of the the mom groups that I was in when my kids were really little, we often talked about when do you start using the word no, for example, or when do you start saying to them, nope, you can't go up the stairs or like, how do we, where do we start? I mean, do we start right in the beginning or do you wait until they're a little older? When do we start putting limits and boundaries in place? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of opinion on this. Um, So I would say, I think, I think you have to start from the beginning. I think it's, it's easier to understand what those limits are. Right. And so maybe again, maybe you, I think you need to also think of what are the core things like, you know, what are your family values? What are the core things? What's going to keep them safe, safe to themselves, safe to others. Again, I think if, if it's something that's going to, again, impede on their everyday their life and, and again, their safety, then yes, I think you're definitely going to have to set those limits and set them, you know, as, as soon as you can. And then it just becomes a habit after that. Right. It's not just all of a sudden they're five and they're like, Whoa, like what, (laughs) where did, where did that kind of come from? It gets harder to, uh, to direct them as they get older. I'm discovering. So, you know, things with my 12 year old are much more difficult to direct than things with my six year old, for example, (laughs) it's a bit of a bit of a difference in terms of the 12 year old being like, no, 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 no. I'm 12 now. I'm big. I can do all these things. (laughs) No, actually you you can't just yet. But the six year old who's like, well, I don't want to do that. Why would I want to do that? You do that for me. Well, no, I need you to do that because you can like, you know, it's, it's very, for those of us who have kids who are spanned out a little bit, it, it is a little bit challenging sometimes. Yeah. So I said a little bit in the intro that 
you know, it doesn't matter whether your child is neurotypical or neurodiverse. Our kids' behaviors will have ebbs and flows. There will be days when things are going really well. and There will be days when things don't go so well. (laughs) How do we manage as parents in those moments that are really hard? Like what are some strategies or some tools that we could maybe try and put in place to get through the rough patch that often those rough patches seem like they're never ending. They do end. If anybody's listening, I've been through some, they do eventually settle down, but what, what do you recommend or what things do you suggest parents try? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I think just acknowledge that you're in a rough patch, (laughs) Right? There's so, an easy one. There is. <laughs> Acknowledge this is rough. And I, and again, right. We think um, that if we don't acknowledge it, it's just going to go away. So I think just allowing yourself to know I'm in a rough patch and it's okay. I, think I mean, ignoring really- it won't make it go away. <laughs> I can't just pretend I don't see it or hear it. I actually, okay. All right, fine. I'll give yes. you that one. <laughs> it won't work. It won't work. Um, so no, it's okay. And give yourself grace. Right. And again, knowing that Every parent is going to have ups and downs. And so if you're in your, your patch, like that's okay. I would also say, so I love family meetings and I think it's such a great opportunity to, you know, have everybody kind of, I love always, you know, making it fun, of course, you know, have food or whatever there and discuss what's been going on. So, you know, and again, you're going to do this as age appropriate as, as possible, but letting them say, and if you feel that you're kind of been overwhelmed with, you know, kind of what's been going on, just say, I think it's so important that you're able to say, okay, you know, what, guys, I'm finding morning routines or, you know, getting a bit much. I don't like that. I'm yelling and, you know, let's try to come up with some solutions on what's going on. You know, how do you feel about you know, the mornings and getting everybody to also state what I'm telling you, your, your children will also say, oh, I'm really frustrated when this happens. And I think that's fair. And I think allowing them to have a voice as well, I think is really important. And so have a family meeting, try to discuss and maybe again, you can collaborate together, get your kids involved on, you know, some possible solutions of, you know, how things could be better. And this is a great way to say like, what were you thinking there? What, why do you think, you know, you and your brother always kind of fight when it comes to this and having these discussions are always good. As you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, conversation of why do you think? And it's the, for me, when, when you're saying it, I'm just, it's the patience that is going to be required by me as the adult to regulate my own behavior, to not want to answer the question, right? Like, why do you think your brother's always bothering you? And my response to my kids, when they say so-and-so is doing that and then like, So the six-year-old was following the 12-year-old around the house yesterday. Okay. Last night after dinner, (laughs) we're all tired. I'm trying to do dishes. I'm trying to make lunches. There's like a million things. The phone is ringing. There's like stuff happening. Stop following me. Leave me alone. And we just looked at my eldest and we were like, so stop moving. She's doing it because she's pushing your buttons. Like, but then it was like, I felt the energy in my house. Everybody like shoulders went up. Everybody started to freak out. And I just was like, ah, I don't want to deal with it. Like just everybody stop, go to your rooms. Yes. And so I think that's important too, being able to acknowledge, okay, what do you as the parent need for yourself? So again, right. A lot of times we're, we're trying to put out these flyers every day. We're trying to do all these things. 
but what do you need? And so again, it's part of that acknowledging, okay, I'm going through a rough patch right now. I'm going to be no good to my family if, you know, I'm myself, right? And I heard something that say the bombs will set the temperature of the home. And so if we're always escalated and, you know, they will always be escalated and they'll have the energy as well. So I think it's so important that we do things again, what, what's rejuvenating for you? What's been draining for you? Taking a look at that and maybe eliminating some of those things, you know, from your, from your day-to-day schedule. And again, putting in some more things that are energizing and being able to have those, those moments, right? And if you're going to have a family meeting, make sure you've had your moment first, <laughs> Before you put my air mask on first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're recording this in December. We're rolling into that fun season of life where there's lots of pretty lights and there's lots of exciting things happening. And depending on how you celebrate depends on what's happening in your house. Mm -hmm. But we know that the routine, regardless of what you celebrate, everybody's off school for two weeks. So we know the routine goes out the window. Mm-hmm. We know that schedules are different. Things are different. I know in my house, screen time will go up. Yes. Um, as my, as my way of like, just holding it together. Yes. Um, yeah. COVID has me taught too. me this, but how do we manage behavior, you know, in a family gathering when there's high expectations? I mean, I have pretty high expectations of my kids. And I, mm-hmm. I do, I prefer, I preface it for them. I'm like, okay, we're going to this dinner and you are expected to sit through the meal and whatever. They're not as formal. Like when I was a kid, I remember I would have to wait to sit down at the dinner table until my grandmother sat down, which was very hard to do as a six-year-old. Cause I was just hungry, like yes. hurry up and sit down. <laughs> so, right. There's all those family expectations. Yeah. So how do we navigate the holidays and whether it's you're going on a plane, you're going to a restaurant, like these sort of events that happen in our day to day that can cause a bit more anxiety for both us as the adult. And then because we're anxious, our kids are then anxious mm-hmm. about the bomb that right sets yeah. the tone. Um, what's some advice that you could give us around that? Yeah. So again, I think having this conversation of expectations, I think is, is so important. I think beginning to have that now having those expectations of, you know, okay, so when we're going to dinner and I think it's so important that we, we let our parents or sorry, let our kids know that yes, the expectations are different when we go to so-and-so's house. I may be having to remind you, you know, to do this because the rules are different there. And I think, again, explaining that rules are different at other different people's houses, right? Or depending on where you go, the rules may change. Being able to um, just have, have that conversation, what does it look like? What can you practice ahead of time? What can you role play ahead of time? Letting them know what, what the boundaries are, like what are the limits? What are they uh, where's their safe space going to be? What can they do when they when they themselves maybe are feeling overwhelmed, um, you know, at somebody else's house and, you know, something goes wrong? Uh, what can they do? And so really kind of just giving them some tools. I had talked about this too on my live and we had talked about tips for the holidays. You know, maybe your child has a fidget in their pocket. Maybe there's, maybe they're going to carry an iPad when things get overwhelming, maybe they take a few minutes just to be by themselves for a little bit. And then they're going to go off and play with everybody after they've had some time. So I think it's just being able to have a plan is really, really important. Do we 
consequence children for misbehaviors in the moment when we're not in our homes, or do we revisit that when we're in a different space? Mm. <laughs> There's a curveball for you. So, no, you know, the, 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 okay. So the expectation is, you know, you will sit for dinner and I will only ask you say twice to sit down. Yeah. But then if they get to the third time and they haven't sat down in front of these, this strange place, potentially in front of all of these other people in a different environment, do we, do we throw the, the consequence at them there or do we wait? Does it age dependent? Is it like, I don't know. Okay. So <laughs> I would say, I know Delphine, you're really asking me some great I know. questions. And, and there's going to be different uh, answers, right? So your yeah. thought on it is going to, and that's okay. That's the joy. And the, the, the awesome part about parenting is we all get to kind of do it how we want. Yes. But I, I think what I love about this conversation tonight is it's giving us little snippets of things of, Oh, I like that, but I don't like this. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying anybody needs to take what you say it, you know, as gold, I'm just saying, give us your thought and people can decide whether to take it or leave it. Yeah. So I think the first thing as parents is you cannot be consequencing or punishing because I feel it's going to be more of a punishment coming on. I think a lot of times in those situations, we as parents lose it because we're feeling the embarrassment of everybody watching. And so we are now screaming at our kids because what we're really, so in that moment, our behavior is communicating. I am feeling embarrassed. I am feeling like I have no control. Now I know grandma's going to be talking to me later about how I have no control over my kids. Right. And so all of these things are going through your head. And then, so you're trying to get control of the situation. And then that's kind of where, you know, you're throwing a bunch of consequences and punishments out. And so I think it's important to be aware of that. I think if your child's acting out again, I think even having a plan. Okay. So look, you know, if, if things aren't going well, this is, you know, I'm going to have to take you over to the side. We're going to have a conversation. Right. And so I would say in a situation like that, being able to take them away from the the table for a second and have a conversation say, Hey buddy, like what's, what's going on? Um, Why aren't you sitting at the table? And again, so if we're looking at why aren't they sitting at the table? Well, maybe they're nervous being around the table too. Maybe they, you know, And so sometimes you can quickly come up with a plan like, okay, so you know what, like have four more bites, then you're done. Or, you know, maybe they're sitting across the table. Do you want to sit beside me? So see if you can quickly come up with solutions. And I think too, it's also part of, okay, so what you're saying right now is you're unable to be at the table with us. Maybe you need a movement break. You can take a break and then come back in five minutes. So also you want to maybe like give them an out and again, understand like, where are they coming from here? Um, why aren't they sitting down? What's going through their head? What's happening? Um, again, there's a cliche. What is their behavior trying to communicate? Right. Yeah. Why is this happening now? Um, You're so, so right. I think it's, yeah, that, that societal pressure or the family pressure in terms of, great grandma raised her kids to sit down and listen. And you know, that, but it is that right. Like it's Mm -hmm. the family dynamic of the way we raise children now has changed. I mean, I remember my mom and I was an only child. So let's preface it by when my mother comments, I always have to think, right. I was an only child. So she only had one kid (laughs) and yeah. So, but she said we were at the cottage over the summer and I don't know. The kids came in and I was like, well, what do you guys want for breakfast? And my mom was like, I never gave you the option of what you were having for breakfast. I just put it in front of you and you had to eat it. But 
for me, letting them choose what they want for breakfast is sort of, you know, it's like, it's kind of like, oh, whatever, as long as you yeah. eat, I don't really care. Right. Like, yeah. it's just one of those things that I'm like, I'm not planning that like they can, but it is the generational view of how we raise our kids and, and it is shifting and changing. It'll be interesting to see what it's like for us later mm-hmm. in life when our children are older. <laughs> What will we be saying to them? Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think the cycle definitely, right. The cycle's going to, it's going to continue. Um, what? We don't even sit at tables anymore, right? Oh, it's gonna well, be- probably right. And we, or that, or we, we eat something that is on a screen. I'm sure yeah. it will involve a screen of technology or something like, something. Or, or the robot will bring it to the table yeah. for you because the person no longer needs to do it. I don't know. I'm sure something. Yeah. We'll have to revisit this in 20 years and see where yes. we're at. <laughs> So are there good websites as resources for families to go to? Obviously yours, which you can drop now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yours is great, but are there other resources that you point families to when you work with them? Yeah, for sure. So great resources that I, there's two that I love. So one is Ross Green, his collaborative proactive solutions website. And so he has a ton of resources there. And so if you're looking at a way of how can I take more of a collaborative approach to discipline and to understanding my child's needs, then that's a great, great website. And then there's the Merit Center. So at selfreg.ca, um, which talks all about self-regulation and it's a great website. And I love it because not only does it address things for children, it's a great resource uh, for us parents too. Right. And so really being able to identify what are those things that, you know, are really hard for us and what are those things, what do we need in those moments? So it's great. It's a great website. Books. I do books on audio often now, cause I can plug in one headphone and cook dinner, but still hear the rest of the crew. So are there any good books that maybe need to be on your bedside table, but maybe that are while we commute, we can listen to and think about how we can be more successful with our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's the explosive child, which is again by Ross Green. Can you tell I love Ross Green? So he's great. So there's the explosive child. And then there is the rethinking discipline Conscious Parenting for Growth and Connection, and that's by Judith Smith. And then there's Smart But Scattered by Peg Dawson, which I just absolutely love. And that's so, a good one. yeah. And so if you're finding that, you know, your child is smart, but very scattered, very forgetful, very, you know, all of that. It's such a great, great book to help you understand what's going on. Those are um, both books that I have on my bookshelf and are on my audible and (laughs) I have them everywhere. Sometimes it's because I just need to revisit a chapter, right? Something happened and I'm like, okay, I need to like go remember why my kid is really smart, but it's all over the place. Oh, that's why. why. So yeah, yeah, those are good ones to have. Marlene, where can people learn more about you? Because you uh, have a wealth of knowledge and I would love people to go check it out. For sure. So MarleneSpence.com. And then I usually live more on Instagram um, at Cornerstone F as in family and S. So Cornerstone FS is where you can find me. Well, Marlene, thank you so much for this conversation tonight. Um, It was a lot of fun. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are looking for help and support in creating a roadmap to success for your child through challenging times, contact me at accesstoeducation.com. I work with all families to help them build power and knowledge in understanding their child's needs and how to build success 
through advocacy. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Access to Education Toronto. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so together we can create your roadmap to success.